I'd like us this morning to return to our occasional series in the book of Proverbs. And uh, please turn with me now to Proverbs chapter 24. And uh, although it is normally our custom to read a, a section of Scripture to set a verse in its context, the nature of the book of Proverbs is such that we can read one verse and see it by itself. So read with me now in Proverbs chapter 24, and in particular at verse 3 and verse 4. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3, by wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. By wisdom a house is built. Well, if you're in conversation with any realtor for any length of time, you'll probably hear them use the well-known dictum that the property price is based upon three things. Location, location, location. And the Word of God would instruct us that that location is something important for us to consider also. And so as we reflect upon what God's word says, as we are in the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, encouraged by wisdom to build our house, we would inquire of God's word how that is to be accomplished. And so as we would consider the proverb, I would point us to other passages of scripture which would help us to see how we might more adequately fulfill that commandment. First of all, the question would arise, where are we to build? Where are we to build? Um, Always with an eye to a bargain, I, I found that the library sells off books for a remarkably low price. 25 cents for a paperback. So when I saw Robinson Crusoe on sale for 25 cents, I thought, I'm just mad enough to lash out with a quarter and buy that book. It was the best quarter that I have ever spent. If you haven't read Robinson Crusoe, don't use the the children's version. They tend to sanitize it, by which they mean remove any mention of the gospel. Robinson Crusoe is an extended gospel tract. And it comes across page after page, Robinson Crusoe. Read it to your children. Robinson Crusoe, as you know the story, he's marooned on a desert island and wanting to get off the desert island, he selects out a tree, fells it with whatever implements he had, and then hollows out the inside. He spent months chopping it down and preparing it. And there it was, now the finished article, a tree trunk that would be capable of braving even the most ferocious seas. There was a difficulty, however. He lacked the strength to move it out of the field and down to the water. What a picture that is for us of how men and women, and no doubt boys and girls as well, 
put so much effort into the things of this world only to find that it didn't accomplish the very purpose for which they were constructing it. So people invest their energies to such an extent so that they think that when they come before God, if they believe in God, that they will have something to present, only to to find that they have used up their labors, their energies, their resources to no avail and that their good works will not, in fact, save them. Robinson Crusoe couldn't move the log. It didn't provide the rescue that he had hoped. Men and women build their edifices with their resources and with their time and talents, only to discover at the last that when they stand before the judgment seat of God, that their sins will condemn condemn them. Huge investments, huge efforts, huge self-righteousness. Well, the word of God would challenge us. Where are you building your house? Would you build your house in a swamp? Would you build a house upon sand? No, says Jesus, build it upon a solid rock. Choose the right place in which to build your house. Choose solid ground. Well, that choice (coughs) is also reflected. I want you to turn now to the book of Joshua. The people of God have been brought across the wilderness and now they are entering into the promised land and Joshua has been their great leader. And uh, at the last chapter, he gathers the people of God together in in, uh, uh, a covenant renewal. We'll read a few verses from chapter 24 at verse 14. These may be amongst the most misunderstood and misapplied verses in the whole of Scripture. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, I've heard sermons preached on that passage, choose you this day whom you will serve, and it sounds like a wonderfully evangelistic passage. But if you reflect upon what Joshua is actually saying to the children of Israel at that point, he's not actually calling upon them to serve the Lord. Look at it again with me. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your father served in the region before, beyond the river, that's back in Egypt, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. What is it that Joshua is setting before the people of God? You worshipped the Egyptian gods when you were in Egypt. And now that you've entered into the promised land, here are the Amorites, now you've taken up with them. Choose which ones you're going to serve. What is it that Joshua is saying to the people of God? You know what? It really doesn't matter 
where you build your house, because it'll all, it'll all turn out to be the same in the end. If you're building in a swamp or building on sand, choose which one. It doesn't make any difference because your house is going to collapse. Your house will collapse. If you build on any other foundation other than the one that is laid in Jesus Christ. So when we are asking this question, where should we be building? The book of Proverbs, it tells us, by wisdom, wisdom, a house is built. And Jesus would tell it, well, let's think about the location, location, location. Everyone who hears these these words of mine And Dustin will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. There's only one place for you and for me to build that house. And that is on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who hears these words of mine and Dustin will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And if you're not building your house upon the rock, then it really doesn't matter at the end of the day whether you're into New Age mysticism, Far Eastern mysticism, whether it is green politics or whatever else it might be, you're building your house upon shifting sands. And when the test comes, it will collapse. Well, the rainfall comes in that brief illustration that Jesus is giving. There's a certain uh, inevitability. The test will indeed come. And for those who build on uh, a false foundation or no foundation at all, whatever that might be, whether it's the gods beyond the river in Egypt or whether it's the false gods of the Ammonites, whatever false god you might choose, it doesn't matter. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Well, you'll be familiar with that uh, parable that Jesus told of the foolish farmer. Man steps out of the crowd and says, uh, Rabbi, good master, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And then he tells the, the story of the farmer. I, I trust is at least somewhat familiar. The farmer is a, a, an astute businessman. He knows that in order to make money, you've got to spend money. And when the, the harvest comes in, he hasn't got a barn that's big enough to contain it. Pulls down the old one, build, builds a new one. And so it goes on until uh, he is an extremely wealthy businessman. And he says, I'm going to sell everything, then I'm going to take my ease. I'm going to be able to uh, move to that wonderful house with the in-ground swimming pool in, uh, in Florida. And I'm just going to just do whatever pleases me. Well, if, uh, if that parable is familiar, remember the, how Jesus concludes what happened with the farmer. He said, God comes to him. You fool, this very night your soul will be required of you. And then who will get your your wealth, all your possessions? As the old saying goes, you can't take it with you. But before we think about what it means, you can't take it with you, just just let those words, you know, you you may have been um, called uh, a fool. I, I remember my 
first congregation uh, in Scotland. Um, uh, as I left, I left because they were requiring me to ordain a woman to the eldership. And I said, I couldn't do that. And the last words one of the members said as she shook my hand on the way out, she said, you're a fool, Mr. Wright. Well, very formal, of course. And we Scots tend to be, you know, wasn't a fool. You're a fool, Ian. No, you want to give me respect. You're a fool, Mr. Wright. Well, perhaps. I've been called worse things than a fool. Perhaps you've been called worse things than a fool. But there's one person you don't want to call you a fool. And that's God himself. And when God calls a man a fool, you know he truly is a fool. All that planning, all that acumen, all that business sense. And at the end of the day, in the estimation of God himself, he was a fool. So as we're thinking about the Word of God and this picture that comes to Proverbs and the Gospels and the Epistles that uses a picture of building, the first question that we as it were, need to resolve for ourselves is this. Are we building in the right place? Are we building upon that sure foundation that when the test comes we will find that we have built for eternity. Well, from Matthew chapter 7, let's turn to the other portion that we read together from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 11. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's a development of the same theme. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are to, to build a house, and the person who listens to his words and does what Jesus tells him to do, he's like a wise man who builds his house upon a rock. Laid a foundation. Well, I'm not an architect. And truth be told, I'm not a builder either. I uh, have not sought to hide from this congregation that you wouldn't want to live in any house that I built. However, common sense does seem to lay something. And if I get it wrong, then I'm sure there are those who are far more skilled that can correct me. If you don't have foundations, there's no structural stability. And the taller the building, the deeper the foundations need to be. I, I visited a member of the congregation just a couple of weeks ago. And uh, uh, he showed me that uh, as they'd been doing some concrete work, they laid, laid a slab in the, the, the backyard. And on it he had put, out, uh, put up a, uh, a shed. Just a straight concrete slab and on it the, the, the shed... It would be, it's fine for the, the garden shed, but I doubt very much you'd want to build a, a house and a foundation that's about six inches deep. A number of years ago, perhaps some of you also saw it in downtown, they were built constructing the, I, I think it was the Trump Tower. And uh, I was able to look into, before they actually started the building, they dug a, a hole. It was an extraordinarily deep hole. 
Why? Because the taller the tower, the deeper the foundations need to be. A house is more substantial a building, at least it ought to be, than your garden shed. And if you're building a, a tower that stretches up to the clouds, then you want to dig deep foundations. Well, brethren, what are the foundations that we are seeking to, to dig? Dig down deep into God's Word and to hear God's Word, Lord's Day by Lord's Day, morning and evening, to sit under the ministry of God's Word. Why? Because Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount says, if you want to build a strong house that will stand the test, Build the foundations deep. Listen clearly to what Jesus is saying. Listen to his words and do what he tells you to do in his word. And unless we want to build the garden shed to the glory of God, the deeper we dig dig those foundations, the better it will be for God's glory. Well, there's a challenge there, isn't there? Are we building garden sheds so that when the time of testing comes along, there's really not that much to show for all those years? There's a a story which um, it will become obvious why we tell it in Scotland. It's uh, the story of uh, an Uh, A Scotsman, an Englishman, and a Frenchman. The Frenchman says to the Englishman, "Um, if I were not born French, I would wish to be born English. And immediately the Scotsman says, Och, laddie, have you got nay ambition? What is it? You only want aspire to be an Englishman? When you could aspire to be a Scotsman, you, you see, it's not just the Dutch. You see, if you eat Dutch, you eat much. I think probably every nationality has its own statement of personal hubris. And we can hold our own where I come from. Well, where's your ambition? Are you ambitious to build a garden shed to the glory of the Lord? Or you wanted to build deep foundations rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ and a structure which is glorious, not for your glory, but for the glory of the God who has saved you. In the devotions in session earlier on this week, we were reminded of the slave girl. We don't even know her name slave girl who had no doubt been snatched from her parents by a raiding party and ended up being the slave in the house of Naaman. Naaman contracts leprosy, if you know that Old Testament story. And uh, it's the slave girl, the anonymous slave girl, who is bold enough to speak to her master and say that there is a man in Israel who is a man of God and he can cure you. Ponder what faith she had. It would have been so much easier for her to keep silent. 
If she sends her master down to Israel and says, there's one who can cure you, and he comes back uncured, as almost seemed to be the point when he refused to listen to the man of God, comes back uncured, and you sent me all the way down there. This is the uh, Secretary of State for Defense in the King of Syria. But she spoke up. She trusted God. Brave girl whose deeds are recorded on the pages of Scripture. Do you want to be thought well of by men? Receive their acclaim. How fleeting is the acclaim of men? If you don't think it's fleeting, just ask yourself this. How many days pass between the crowd crying out, Hosanna to the son of David, to them crying out, crucify him, crucify him. The crowd gathers and they go from adulation to despising him and demanding his death in the space, not really of a few days, so much as a few hours. Now, would you really wish to have the praise of men which can change on a dime. What good will it do? There's only one person whose approval you need. Turn with me to the Gospel of Christ by Matthew, now at chapter 25. Matthew 25. It's something of the other side of the coin with, to the, uh, the, the foolish farmer. There we see God pronouncing that the farmer with his focus on things this was foolish. Let's also see how uh, God speaks to those who belong to him. At verse 21. The parable of the talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Do you desire at the end of days, when you enter into the presence of your noble master and lovely Lord, to hear him address you personally with these words? Well done, good and faithful servant. I do. I trust you do as well. Will you resolve to make it your endeavor for all of your life? Well, what good will it do you? When you face hardships, when the storms come with your house built upon that firm foundation, you will stand no matter what the adversity might be. Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12 and reading at verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Your master endured 
such hostility against himself. But let me read the preceding verse. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him. Do you see? The people of God look beyond the things of this world and would see the joy that is set before us. Well, the other part of verse 21 that I didn't read a moment ago, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little. I will set you over much. And then these words, which I can't help but give you in the King James Version. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Brethren, do you desire to be able to say at the last, I have done what God has set before me, not built the garden shed to his glory, but a magnificent edifice to his glory? I long to hear the very voice of Jesus himself say to me, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And with all my heart, and I trust with all yours, you would say, I want that same voice to then say to me, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now, Mark, brethren, it is not enter into some great joy of your own devising or imagination. No, it is the joy of the Lord into which you are to enter. The infinite and eternal blessedness of the companionship of the Holy Trinity now laid open before us and we enjoined by his grace and mercy to enter into the joy of the Lord God. Would we not surrender all that the world has to offer for that great blessing? Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Now thirdly, and uh, the, the time has escaped us. The materials to be used. Returning again to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Boys and girls, I don't know if you noticed, but there's something of the story of the three little pigs in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll read at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones... Wood, hay, I'm afraid I'm going to use stubble, wood, hay, straw. Each one's work will become manifest. What are the materials that we should use? Well, the, the illustration that comes to us from the three little pigs, you know that story. Uh, every child, and therefore every child that turns into an adult knows the story. The, uh, the, the, uh, the, the three little pigs, the first one built of straw, and the wolf comes along and huff and puff and blow the house down. 
Then there was uh, the wooden house, and that was half and puff and blew the house down until it last. They built the house of brick, and uh, I don't know if they, they, the wolf at that point blew his brains out, but he didn't succeed with um, destroying the house built of brick. We're told in verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. It is possible for us, brethren, to build wood, hay, and stubble, and then the fire comes, and it destroys what we have endeavored for so long to construct how many congregations, perhaps you might even say entire denominations have ended up building wood, hay, and stubble, and there's nothing there of the gospel at all. Ministers and congregations often desire larger and larger congregations. I, I fear that this may be for the, the vanity of the preacher the larger the congregation, is that because he's such a wonderful preacher that people turn out in their hundreds, their thousands to hear him? And it uh, massages his ego. I think it massages the ego of the congregation, no less. What size of congregation do you go to? Oh, we have 50 in ours. Oh, we have 250. Must be five times better as a congregation then, mustn't it? Is that, is that how... We look upon the numbers, building wood, hay, and stubble. So what does it mean to build with gold, silver, and precious gems? Well, Victor Atala, uh, no stranger to us as a congregation, I think he's about three foot six. No, it must be a bit, bit longer than, a bit taller than that, but he's... Um, when, he, when he comes into the, the session room and, and all these wonderful Dutch elders are there, um, banging their heads against the, the light fittings. Uh, it feels like going for a walk in the forest. And there, there's uh, little Victor. But as he is swift to point out, he's so much smaller because he's made of more expensive material. <laughs> more expensive material. Gold and silver and precious gems. Brethren, do you desire to Build such an edifice of your labors that will be, as it were, gold and silver and precious gems, not wood, hay and stubble that when the fire comes, it's consumed and you have nothing to show for a lifetime of labor. Even though you yourself will be saved, if any one work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? The building up of that building, that house, is by time and effort, the resources that we are able to bring. And we would say, at least in our better moments, and I would give all that I have to build to God's glory. Not wood, hay, and stubble because I have 
built to please myself, but gold and silver and precious gems, that I might receive the reward. If the work that anyone has build, built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Build your house and invest in eternity. By wisdom a house is built. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our heavenly Father, we thank thee that thou hast set before us these pictures from the Old Testament, from the Gospels, from the Epistles. We thank thee that Paul was able to declare that he had built upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and that he had become a master builder. May we set that as our ambition before us, each of us to be master builders, not building wood, hay, and stubble, but in gold and in silver and precious gems, that which will stand the test so that we might receive the reward. Father, we thank thee that in thy word that thou dost set before us the, the joy of entering into thy joy in eternity. And as we bow heart and head in thy presence at this morning hour, we would declare with our lips, but we trust also in our hearts, that we long to hear the voice of thy Son speak to us, and that he would say to us at last, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Be it so, gracious God and Father, according to thy will. For it is in the name of thy Son that we ask, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.